how to prepare the turkey. Approach the turkey calmly and steadily. Speak gently and frankly about your intentions. Sit quietly and listen to the turkey. You might hear something you hadn't considered. Be prepared to alter your plans. Don't push the discussion too hard. Take a break and arrange a further meeting, perhaps in a small cafe, somewhere cheery and relaxed. Stroll together along a beach, through a park, down a cobbled lane. Continue to talk and listen. A strolling conversation is more real. It has a special dignity. It has a poetic outcome. Sit side by side and watch the sunset. Watch the stars come out. Travel together and tell each other of your dreams. Open up your hearts and take comfort in being together. You will not have Christmas dinner, but so what? You will have peace, divine fellowship, and most importantly, a feathered friend. Michael Lunig. Turkey friends, turkey friends. So welcome back. Um, I am Kirsty Mack and the wonderful voice you heard about turkeys is... Jim McNeish. And we're back together talking about conversations um, with turkeys and humans, but actually conversations that really matter. Um, again, a theme I think that is just permeated through all of the other podcasts that we've done. Um, and this one's called The Real Conversation. And yeah. so, so Jim, in terms of conversations, where are you at? What's been happening for you? I had a very real conversation um, with my four employees where they were made redundant, where it was obvious that we didn't have the financial setup to support a business into the next year and um, and in a very difficult time. So um, I didn't want to have the conversation. It was unwelcome. Um, but what I did is I got clear about what I wanted to say up front. And there were three things I know I wanted to say in the conversation. One is your job is redundant. Two is this is not my preference. Um, this is in reaction to our circumstances. And three, my relationship with you is important and I see it taking a new shape in the future if you want that. So I still felt really awful about having the conversation. I had internal resistance to it, but I took responsibility for having the conversation called our relationship is changing and it can still be good. So in amongst all the reactivity, the horror they would have experienced, um, um, all the difficulty that that causes in a relationship. What I did is I got really clear about what was I standing for in the conversation? What had I to deliver? But also how did I wrap it in something which was authentic to me as well as something that could be useful for them? Mm. And so clear again on, I just wanted to get the right context for the conversation and make it make sense. And such a, an important an important context um, to deliver and how often have, I know a lot of these things are done via scripts um, and having to, you know, sort of follow legalities and things like that. And, and actually to, to be really clear about the relationship that existed there. And I think the language that you use there, your job is redundant. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's really important because, you know, I think we've spoken about redundancy and furloughs before. It's like when people, it's like you are redundant. People take on board as a person and it is, it's that separation. So the language is so, so important. And, yeah. and I think for such a massive conversation. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was tough. But what about you? How have you, how have you found it? Do you know, I, oh, there's just been so many conversations that have existed recently. It feels a bit like, I often say this, but I love the, the movie Sliding Doors mm-hmm. um, with Gwyneth Paltrow and it's like getting on the train or on the train. I think that this moment in time and also throughout my entire life, this moment in time, I feel that there's been loads of sliding doors of conversations about conversations I could have and conversations I haven't, um, you know, deep conversations with people that I've just connected with online, you know, mm-hmm. bizarrely, which is not my usual MO, um, but having conversations with people that have either uh, watched a video that I've done, has listened to a podcast, and then it's it's gone into another conversation that have been, and people have been really forthright about, I, I, I want to have a conversation with you, to the point of, I think I want to have a conversation with you. And I think that conversation is something about us working together or a conversation is about us writing together. So there's yeah. been like the, but people just, you know, this is where it's at and just being really forthright about it and being really, yeah. um, I want to have a conversation called and it's, it's like, okay. And I instantly feel, well, I know what this conversation's about. I'm really excited about that conversation. I don't know where it's going, but let's have it. Yes. You know what? And I just think there's been lots of those. And you know, well, we had to meet a conversation 700 weeks ago and boom, here we are. We're, we're recording yeah. these podcasts, you know? So I think there has been incredibly deep conversations with people that I hadn't previously met. And just finding the right people to be around me um, has, has been through the act of having a conversation. Yes really really quickly and I think we've got there quicker because as you say the context was there it was set up um I've just found it incredible over these last few weeks incredible who the conversations I've had with and also the conversations I haven't had yeah yeah they speak loud too they speak loud yeah they do (laughs) so for you and I know it is incredibly important and I would say that without question, I learned it from you, you know, without question. Why is the notion of the real conversation so important to you? I think it's all we have. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of conversations do take place without words as well. They're just an understanding, but there is an interaction. Um, Venerate Hart would say a problem only exists in the absence of the right conversation. I think that's a bold claim. Um, I, I like it. I like what it does in terms of it makes you think, well, is there a conversation available to us here that could move something forward? Um, and certainly conversations are how the world changes. Um, somebody at one point said, let's run some clinical trials on COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And then before her, somebody said, let's look at illnesses in more depth. Maybe we could weaponize them. And before him, somebody said, let's look for cures for these viruses in a lab and set up some technology to see if we can do some good. Mm -hmm. Thought changes the world and says, I didn't do it. 
but conversations have got less of a place to hide because they're out there. We're having them. I think conversations created the world that we're all experiencing today. And I think if we get smart, reflective and courageous, they'll lead us out of this place as well. I think leaders who will construct the right conversations will move us forward. I think for as long as we're just reactive or we don't take responsibility for what comes out of our mouth or what we type into social media, then we live in a chaotic and increasingly anarchic world. But I think for as long as leaders start to take responsibility for constructing the real conversations with the real people, then we'll be led out of this time and we will be led into something better. I think leadership is the, the key space for conversations to be developed. Um, <clears throat> making those decisions, being proactive. Um, certainly we would train people in a number of different leadership conversations. You know, you, you sit there, you're, you're in a world that has a problem space. Like, here's my problem space. I want to be there. And, and between me and there, there's all of this in between. That problem space is navigated within the conversation. And the more choices that you have about what conversations are available to you, the better leader you will be. So here's a problem. Is that a conversation about relationship? Is that a conversation for relationship? Do we have a weakened uh, channel between us and I want to shore it up and strengthen it? Okay, well, that's called a conversation for relationship. Or is it a conversation for um, enrollment, a conversation for the possibilities of the future? that says, I would like to dream this and I'd like you to join me in that dream and be in effort about it. Therefore, can I have a conversation with you about how do I get you connected to that dream? How do I enroll you? Conversation for action. We talked about agreements in our uh, previous uh, podcast. Like how do you and I start to make requests and offers of one another that start to move the ball, that start to actually shunt things along in the right direction? And then a conversation for closure. You know, that muzzy stuff that's still between us because of that difficult last conversation or that awkward period of silence. Is there a conversation where we just wrap that up, tidy it up, exchange apologies or explanations, whatever feels appropriate, and then move on clean? And then a couple of more difficult conversations, maybe the challenge conversation, the one that says, I've got a little feedback for you and how you've been behaving is having this experience for me. This is how it occurs for me and, and this is why it's inconvenient. Could we change that? And then finally, the one for disclosure, the one that says, I've been operating out of a little bit of shadow and I'm sorry, you know, I've, I've been misbehaving or I've been just being overly selfish or scared. Um, could we put that behind us? The more a leader has flexibility to move through these six, seven, eight different conversations, there's one for dialogue, there's one for exploration, but the more that a leader can actually form distinctions and clarity about what conversations she needs to be having, the more effective she'll be. Huge, huge. And I think just even as you're saying, you're setting up your name in the conversation, aren't you? all yeah. the time you are naming the conversation you are saying what the the conversation is and that just helps people 
you know, and do you think that's the core? I mean, it's like, what, what for you is the secret to the perfect conversation? That's the secret Kirsten? sauce. Yeah, that is the secret sauce because, you know, it's, it's uh, the beautiful, um, the beautiful Judith Delosier who says that, you know, an ounce of framing is worth a pound of reframing. It's all yes. about the frame. We both know wonderful leaders that are so graceful at naming the conversation. You know, it's, there's just such respect that comes from a leader who's naming the conversation. And we've all had that experience where we've been in a meeting or a one-to-one and we've thought it's about one thing. We leave and we're like, oh, okay. You know, the agenda wasn't what we thought it would be because we're all going to have our agendas, you know. And, and But I think that's what we're doing is that we're framing it, we're naming it. You know, when we're going to have a difficult conversation, we name it, you know, mm. you, you, you said it, there's a conversation called, how do we maintain a relationship when I'm making your role redundant? You know, that's, that's a very clear, powerful stance and intention for the conversation. You know, you're, you're saying to the person, I want to have a conversation called, how do we get past that instant? I want to have a conversation called, how do we really collaborate now in the future? I want a conversation that says, how do we stop playing games and have more direct conversations. Lovely. You're just there, you're set context, you've given clarity, you've got intention. The great Oprah Winfrey for every single interview that she does, she asks the person, what is your intention for this interview? So it's clear how she holds it, how she frames it, and it's respectful. And what it yeah. does is it does, I mean, it, it does, it does a few things. It's, we allow that person, we allow the other person to be more powerful in the conversation. Yeah. We say, hey, this is a conversation I want to have. We give them some reference points. We say, this is, you know, this is, gives them an opportunity to think about how honest the relationship is. Um, and it goes back to what we were saying about agreements. It's about responsibility. So we're going to take responsibility, both of us, for steering that conversation. We have our topic, we have our frame, we know what that's gonna be. And so we're both, we're, it feels like more of a level playing field. Those people that have called me and said, I wanna have a conversation called, and I'm like, hey, okay, I rise to that. I go, yes. yeah, okay, I'm in, you know? And, and, and also then because of that level of honesty, we, it kind of eradicates that game playing. You know, we actually can say with deep honesty and, and deep respect, this isn't the conversation we agreed to have. Wow, yeah. You know, if we start running rackets, we're actually, you know, we can call ourselves out and we can say, or we can call ourselves out and say, actually, do you know what? That is not the conversation that we agreed to have. You know, I'm running a racket there if you're from that level, but you know, that's, you can say that to one another if yes. you've got that boundary that exists there. And, you know, we can build our own vulnerabilities. There you go, I said the whole word all by myself, you know, and, and, and <laughs> It fitted in my mouth that time. You know, yes. we can build our own insecurities, vulnerabilities into the framework. You know, it's you could say the very thing perhaps that is stopping you previously from having the conversation, you could account for it in the framing. You know, I could be saying, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of these conversations happening, but, you know, how do we raise our child better together, but not troll back over the divorce? Right. You know, so I'm actually setting something up that is saying, I don't want us to go through this, but let's really have this strong conversation. And so there's no excuses. 
You know, we, we're, we're basically, we are facilitating a great conversation. We're flipping it. And, and we've, we've all been in situations where it's, it's, it's uncertain. We've, we've left the conversation with more questions than answers. Yes. And so if we can set up as leaders, what is the context? What is our intention? And we're both really clear about what that intention is. Then there's sheer clarity. I've, I've rocked up to those conversations going, hey, we want to write together if there's an opportunity for that, or we want to have a conversation. So I've got real clarity about what's mm -hmm. happening. And so I feel sharper as a person. Yes. But, and so what it provides then, what you're saying is, is if we can get really clear at naming the conversation, giving somebody some kind of schema of reference to say, mm -hmm. this is why I want to talk to you. A, it gives them power. B, it eradicates game playing. Yeah. And C, it actually allows you to enter into that conversation with the criteria that previously excluded you from it as part of the framing. Mm -hmm. The one that says, hey, I'm not having that conversation because of these things. It's say, okay, well, I will have the conversation, but I won't talk about these things. Yeah. You know, it, it allows you to be honest, powerful, and present in the conversation. And I think we could both, we could all map our life out through conversation. Oh. You know, I, <laughs> can you imagine, like, you could pinpoint the conversations. Yeah. That it's, that's those sliding simple, doors. It is, it is, it's those, did I get, have the conversation or not? Did I get on the train or did I not? That yeah. It just created a quant, you know, with every conversation, there's a quantum possibility. Yes. Yeah, there must be I, I, loads. So I, um, Margaret Wheatley oh, I like is a great that. mentor of mine. She came over for the weekend and Meg's a, you know, powerful character. And um, I had this dream of building a leadership development centre um, called Cantle. And we'd been out walking in the Trossachs and Meg's a huge kind of author, big deal in terms of organisational mm -hmm. development, human relationships. She's a polymath. Just brilliant, brilliant mind. And I so admire her. And so here we were at the end of the day. She was darning her trousers because she dripped them a little bit when we'd been out. And it was in front of my big open fire. And I came through and I thought, what a perfect moment. If we'd have just rubbed a little Vaseline on the lens of the camera, we'd have been there with a Peggy Sue got married moment. And um, I came through and I said to her, hey, Meg, I've never told you what I'm living for, have I? That I, I want to build this leadership development centre in the Highlands. And she went, no, you haven't. And so I started to tell her about it and I had it really well loaded. You know, I had all my stories <laughs> and notions and gorges and all that stuff that was going to happen. And as I was telling her the story, um, she yawned. And I said, um, oh, I'm sorry, Meg, are you tired? And she said, no, bored. Oh, I was like, bored? <laughs> she went, yeah, the conversation's dull. I was, uh, what, my dream is boring? She went, yes. She went, can we just change the subject? Oh, yeah, that's and easy. I, I, yeah, so, well, I just got confronted by all this kind of confrontation in my house and stuff. And so I just kept talking automatically about my rehearsed stories about it. And it kept coming out. And the hand came up. She put her hand up and she went, seriously, you're still talking about it, Jim. Why don't you go make us a cup of tea and I'll find us something interesting to talk about. So I went downstairs, made a couple of mugs of tea, um, resisted a huge urge. Okay. I know, yeah, there was nearly, <laughs> I nearly, nearly put a big loogie in there. Um, resisted a huge urge to gob in hers, I really did. And then um, came up and uh, she said, have you ever been to Greece? And I said, no. And we had two hours on Greece. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember um, when she was going to her bed that night, I said to her, Meg, what would have made the first conversation more interesting? And she said, oh, easily, if you've just told me one thing you've done, um, I'm not interested in just the plans and the futures. And I found out later that Meg actually had a lot of people in her life who would talk to her like that and dreams. And it usually involved retreat centers back in their homeland and stuff. And she just thought, I didn't want that happening to you, Jim. I wanted you to get what you wanted because I love you. You know, I care about you and I care about your life. And she wrote to me um, in, in the December once I'd moved into my new place. Mm. And it provoked me. And for two weeks, I didn't sleep. And I contacted all the estate agents and I eventually bought a kind of old hotel on the banks of Loch Tay and I did it up and it became a leadership development centre. And it was Margaret Wheatley that provoked me. She knew what she was doing. Margaret's a, Meg's got a Buddhist kind of worldview and she knows how to go after the ego. Mm. And she provoked me and, um, and off I went. And I can just see that was a sliding doors moment. I could have been still today talking about when I've got enough money or when I'm set up well enough, I'll, I'll do that centre. Whereas now, actually, it's part of my history, it's part of my story. And, and it was that conversation with Meg Wheatley that just put me in that direction. I could listen to that story a gazillion times. I love it because I can just viscerally see you being so affronted. How <laughs> very dare you? But it, exactly. there is just, I, you know, I, I can pinpoint. I don't even know if it was a, it was a conversation about going to university. And I think actually, do you know what? It was the missing conversation. So my, yeah, I think it was probably, I could have probably done more languages, but I went down medical biochemistry route. And so perhaps it was a missing conversation that, I mean, I think I, uh -huh. we don't know, do we? We don't know we don't. if I would now, now be here now through all of those sliding door moments. I can think of the conversation that I had that we spoke about in one of them about, you know, no longer being married, you know, that, just set another time in motion for me and another movie opened up and another set of people opened up. And, and I think that I, I could just, I can actually see it on, what's the, I can't remember what the movie is, but it's about how things happen in life and you did, but I could just map out my life with conversations. Yeah. I think it is the conversations we have, but also the conversations we don't have. You know, those missing conversations, mm -hmm. the, the ones that they're really pertinent to. You know, how many missing conversations do we have in our lives for, you know, if, especially for getting closure? You know, think yes. of the, it feels like I know I've always got a gazillion things open in my computer and, and I always have too many tabs open. And guess what? My computer doesn't run that well. And, and I think that sometimes if we haven't had those, they're still there. There's still ghosts of those conversations there yes. that, that have an impact on the relationship, that have, we've let them drift. They have an, you know, even just in our future responses to other situation, you know, we pretend it's okay. We ignore it. You know, we, but it just But it's still up. there in the muscle, isn't it? Oh, it's still it's in there. the muscle. It's in the spaces in our brain. You know, we spend, it can come up at weird moments. It's like our brain just, oh, you're sitting down, you're watching Vikings, how interesting. Here we go, <laughs> open up the bag and boom, something comes up and you're like, God, I've not yes. thought about that for years. Or, or why is that even entering? And I think that even those are more important. You know, we, especially just now in terms of people can be more distracted just now and, and having more time in, in solitude and, and so I think it's really important that we have those conversations. We justify yes. having them and not having them. Um, 
and I think this is a time for it. You know what? I agree. What will be those real conversations? Yeah. Post this. Yeah, what are those conversations? That's a good thing. What are those conversations that at the end of this isolation period, leaders are going to have to be having about the world that we live in? What do you think they are? We've, if we, we've talked about this a few times, you know, just in terms of the different people that are coming up, you know, how do we listen? How do we actually notice and listen more of the voices in our organisation, but without being overwhelmed? You know, because a lot of people are going to have a voice right now. And what is the world now? What is our best contribution <laughs> to the world now? And actually, what do we want it to be? What is that kind of conversation? What is our relationship with each other? And how do we best share knowledge? Mm. And then the paradoxes. Mm. How do we hold the paradoxes? Like, we're going to be globalised like never before. This virus has joined us all up. We're all isolated. Yeah. And tribal, like our lives depended on it. We can't get by on ourselves. Um, vigilant for the new threat, you know, but celebrated about our freedom. So we've, you and I were talking just before this, when do we think we're going to get out? Yeah. And when we do get out, what will that look like? Will it look like gloves and masks? Mm. Will it look like just certain geographies get released? Um, certain age groups, certain people maybe who have had it and been tested. Um, so how do we both be celebratory and have the yes. parties and at the same time we're all going to be there in gloves and a mask you know yeah. how do you hold the vigilance alongside the freedom and how do we reinvent or hold on to what's good and precious because there's been so many conversations that people have said actually you know what I'm enjoying this I'm enjoying not having my commute I'm enjoying the time with family I am enjoying this moment that actually I'm all of a sudden I have to do exercise on a daily basis. I'm enjoying that being part of my life. So how do we reinvent even in our businesses, but also hold on to what has been brilliant, what has been precious, what yes. has been good? How do we hold that? Which I think rather than it being completely dualistic, because there is that, right, let's get back to how it was or let's do everything brand new. You know, actually, let's just have that pause for reflection to say, how can we do both? Yeah. You know, there's a, there's a conversation that you and I have again and again, which is about the second tier thinking and about the consciousness mm -hmm. is coming together. I think there is an intrinsic paradox there, which is how do we commit to hive mind? Hive mind, like as in the bees, so that we are sharing that organized way of uh, being together and sharing information for the, for the, the, the collective good. And... How do we not go too far down that line that we become subject to the whims of the mad king? You know, consciousness, when it talks about coral and moving into these more kind of really areas that we can't understand about what we become in 25, 30 years time. But one of the things they'll talk about is the mad king and that, you know, do we have somebody who will take advantage of the fact that we are moving towards more collective consciousness, more of that hive mind mentality. We're kind of being trained in it a little bit at the moment in terms of stay indoors, wash yeah. your hands, and we're, we're, we're being compliant. How do we also retain that ability to see if people get a hold of that and they're not good for us as leaders or they are taking us on their very own ego-based direction rather than what's best for the group? Mm -hmm. And I think there's a paradox to be held there, which is we must push into hive mind and think together and we must retain our autonomous ability 
to form a judgment on whether something's good or bad. So there are, there's, there's, there's probably more conversations that are full of questions rather than, <laughs> rather than easy answers, which actually is a good thing. You know, that there, perhaps those easy answers weren't necessarily working for us before. And so no. perhaps bringing up those questions, you know, and, and for, for leaders to have that, that a greater tolerance of uncertainty, of insecurity, of confusion. We need that. We got to, we have to, we're sitting there. We, and, and but then that's where the, um, the innovation comes as well. That's where we are all improvising. Yeah. Yeah, we are all improvising. And so we don't possibly follow the easy commercial answers now. Rudolf Barrow, who's this sustainability guru philosopher, says this. When the forms of an old culture are dying, the new culture is created by a few people who are not afraid to be insecure. You cannot remain a war between what you want to see who you really are, and what you should see, who you pretend to be. Your mouth was not designed to eat itself.